Beginning at verse 27, this is God's holy infallible word, John 4, verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And of course, they're surprised from what we saw last week, because Jews and Samaritans do not normally associate with one another. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That's our reading this morning. The standout verse in our scripture verses is verse 34. It's kind of close to the middle of our text, actually. Jesus refers to his food there. Now, we've already seen how Jesus has been using physical stuff to point to spiritual realities in this gospel, right? Talked about being born, being born again, living waters with the woman at the well, and now food. And we might say he's using the word food to refer to what satisfies him. The disciples had gone to get food back at chapter 4, verse 8. And then during that time that they were gone, Jesus and the woman at the well speak. They come back a little later with food, and it says Jesus was weary. That's why he sat down at the well, and we assume he was hungry, which is why they went to get food. But they come back with food, and now he's not hungry. They say, eat, but he's already full. Doing God's will has refreshed him. Doing God's will in this instant has satisfied him and filled him up. And the reality is doing God's will refreshes us and satisfies us as God's people. Jesus says in that verse I mentioned, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Everything in these verses tells us that the work Jesus is talking about is God's main primary work in this world and in history, the work of salvation. 
talking about the work of salvation. And, and we've learned a lot about that work so far. In the conversation with Nicodemus, we heard about the work of God. We heard about being born again. We heard about the love of God. We heard about the gospel call that goes out to everyone. That's all in chapter 3. And now we've been learning more in chapter 4. And on this Trinity Sunday, we're going to see the work of salvation from the perspective of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is one of the most central doctrines of our faith. It's a non-negotiable core belief. It's part of what it means to be a Christian, to believe in the Trinity. Trinity means tri-unity. It's right in the word. We don't believe in three gods as Christians, but one God. How we talk about that is we say one in essence, but three persons. And someone might say that's a contradiction, but that's not true. A contradiction is, technically speaking, when you say something is both this and not this. If A is the thing you're talking about, if something is both A and non-A, that's a contradiction. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the Trinity is saying. We're saying with the church throughout the centuries that God is one in essence and yet three in persons. It's not easy to understand. It's a mystery, but it's not a contradiction. We're going to see this morning how our triune God planned our salvation accomplished our salvation, and how he applies our salvation to our hearts and lives. And we're also going to see how we fit in there and are involved in this work according to what Jesus talks about, especially the sowing and reaping. And as I reflect on that, that end of that verse where Jesus talks about his work and the fact that these chapters are talking about that big work of God, his salvation. I, I can't help but be so thankful that we can talk freely and openly on this Memorial Day weekend about the work of God because of those who gave their lives for our freedom. We don't have to hunker down in a cave quietly whispering about this, do we? We don't have to have our doors locked just hoping we don't get caught talking about God's word and, and what God is up to. We don't have church members in prison because they were a little bit too vocal about their faith. So praise God for the sacrifice of those who made it possible that we can proclaim the salvation of our God loudly, clearly, openly this morning because that's what I hope to do by God's grace. First of all, we're just going to go through the Trinity this morning and then we're going to spend most of our time on the Spirit's work and on how our work of sowing and reaping flows out of the Spirit's work, okay? First of all, the Father, God the Father, planned salvation for you. Jesus refers to finishing His work 
And that his there refers to the Father. When we talk about the work of God the Father in salvation, Scripture points us especially to focusing on the, the plan of salvation. Remember back in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, and we saw that goes back before creation into eternity. Our triune God existed in eternity. And in that mysterious eternity, before creation even existed, we read in Ephesians that God the Father chose us. We read that he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. He decided in eternity to create a people that he would, in history, gather and save. And then he decided to carry out this plan through creation, the fall, and so forth. Jesus and the Spirit were involved as persons of the Trinity, but that planning, that eternal plan that the Bible talks about, was especially God the Father's particular task. That's how the Bible seems to talk about it. So God the Father planned salvation for you. That's just tremendously humbling and awesome and comforting. If you're a believer, the Father had you in mind in this great cosmic work of salvation that is the purpose, the very purpose of creation, this mission of rescue for lost people. The Father had all of his people in mind. He had even you in mind that far back. That's what the Bible says. It's incredible. The second person of the Trinity is God the Son. And his primary work is in the accomplishing of salvation. Getting the plan done. So you might imagine the Trinity in eternity. Well, we can't really do that. But humor me and imagine the Trinity in eternity. The Father comes up with the plan to save people, and then he says in the eternal counsel of God to the Son and the Spirit, who will go down there, who will step out of eternity and do what it takes to save these lost people? And at that moment, the Son's hand shot up and he said, I will go. And he did. He did. He came to earth as a little baby born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, becoming like us in all things, sin accepted. He learned the carpenter's trade. He started his earthly minister at about age 30. And at the end of three years, he was arrested, suffered, killed, put in a tomb. And three days later, he would rise again. All of that to accomplish the work of salvation for lost sinners. I referred to Ephesians 1, the Father's plan. It says there that the Father chose us in Christ. He adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, 
And in our text, Jesus says that his food is to finish the Father's work, to accomplish salvation for you. Later in John, in the high, what we call the high priestly prayer, in John 17, 4, he's praying to the Father and he says, I brought you glory on earth, Father. By what? By completing the work you gave me to do. And John 19 talks about the word on the cross. You know, there are those seven sayings. Uh, the one that I have in my office in Greek on my table, if you see that little wooden thing. It was a gift from the Ruloffs family a couple years ago after a Good Friday service. Tetelestai. Jesus said there, it is finished. It is accomplished. What did he accomplish? What's he talking about there on the cross? Well, of course, what is finished, what he accomplished is the work of salvation for sinners that Jesus set out to accomplish and that the Father had planned all along. Jesus accomplished salvation for you. The role of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is in applying salvation to you. The Spirit brings that planned and finished work into our hearts and lives today. And you might wonder, where do we get this focus on the Spirit in our verses? Because we don't have a direct mention of the Holy Spirit here. But as a knowledgeable theologian once said, the Spirit's work is not about drawing attention to himself. The Holy Spirit isn't busy drawing attention to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is to draw our attention to Jesus. The very nature of the Spirit's work is that it's not obvious. He is at work when Christ is given emphasis and lifted up. And what our text shows us, and what I want to spend the rest of our time on, is how the Spirit ordinarily works in this work of salvation. He works through the sowing and the reaping that Jesus talks about. And it's a sowing and reaping that we're called to get involved in just as much as Jesus is urging his disciples back here in the day to get involved in. Jesus' talk with the Samaritan woman is actually an illustration of this sowing and reaping that he's talking about. You know, he says what one person sows, another person reaps. And that's exactly what happened with him and the Samaritan woman. Jesus reaps. In other words, his conversation with the woman, it results in her conversion, right? Well, that was based on sowing that had gone on earlier, She refers to, she says in verse 29 to the other Samaritans, could this be the Christ, right? That means that there were people in that land earlier, prophets, who had sowed seeds, who had said, the Messiah is coming, salvation is coming. The Spirit used that sowing to make this woman ready for harvest when Jesus met with her. And this idea 
of the sowing and reaping, it should give us really great encouragement. Because I feel like a lot of times, as God's people in this world, you and I, our church, I think most every church, most every child of God, we feel like we do so much to get the word out. We feel like, though, that there's not tons of reaping, not tons of response. But the reality is, this is part of the process that the Holy Spirit ordinarily uses. Some people sow, others reap. We don't know ahead of time when we're sowing where a person is in that process of coming to saving faith. We all want to see harvest right away all the time because that's exciting. But there's a lot of patient, quiet sowing that goes on in hearts and lives first. By far, most of the time, it seems to me that God's people are part of the sowing, not the reaping that happens at the very end. So don't get discouraged. Keep at it. Remember that without the sowing, the eventual harvest won't come. God will absolutely bring the results. He intends to. Just as he does with the Samaritan woman, it just isn't always in the time we want it to. It isn't always when you're face-to-face with the person you're talking to or, or sharing with in word or in deed. So our verses urge us to sow, keep sowing. They also urge us to sow those seeds, even in the most unlikely of places. Samaria was one of those very unlikely places. We talked about it last week. This was a field of harvest between Judea and Galilee in the north of Israel, This place in the middle, it was an area that was totally ignored by the disciples. It was ignored by Israel. But it turns out there was a crop there ready to be harvested. And I think today, too, we need to be very careful about assuming someone is not ripe for harvest. That's not our call to make. We're not called to make those judgment calls. We don't know. We're just called to sow the seed, get the word out to everyone, everywhere, whosoever believes, right? Not judge who's going to get it or, or not. Israel was totally ignoring Samaria, a field that happened to be ripe for harvest. And it was, frankly, because they looked down on the people who were there. And, and you could look at someone that you have an opportunity to interact with, and you could assume there's not a snowball's chance that this person is going to come to the Lord. That grumpy, unapproachable neighbor whose heart is obviously so hard, it's hard as a rock, there's no way this guy will ever receive Christ. But maybe he just needs another seed or two sown. Maybe just another word, another kind deed done in Jesus' name. Or you think of that that beautiful, sharp person in your life 
Maybe it's a coworker, and you assume she's got it all together in her life, but she's actually falling apart on the inside, and she needs the hope of the gospel. She needs someone to bring that to her and approach her, not keep passing her by like the people passed by Samaria. The lesson from Jesus' words and his actions with the woman at the well is for us to sow the seeds. Get the word out. This is what the Spirit uses to apply salvation to people's hearts and lives. Don't you choose where that goes. We just get the seed out. You might wonder about your place in this sowing and reaping. I mean, the example here is the Samaritan woman and Jesus and Jesus has success because he's Jesus. And he's talking to the disciples about sowing and reaping. You might say, I'm not in this scenario. I don't see myself in the scene. I'm not at the level of Jesus, certainly. And I'm definitely not one of the 12. But if you think that, you are missing someone in this scene. You're missing the woman at the well. She went and witnessed. She sowed the seed, and many Samaritans believed. You might think you're an unlikely person to sow a seed with the Spirit. But how about this woman? She was the most unlikely of people. Married five times, living with a man she's not married to, The only thing special about her is her especially sinful past. And look what she does. She meets Jesus, then bam, she goes out. Is she stopping and and thinking and processing, oh, but but what, what use could I be of Jesus with my sketchy background? She doesn't say, well, I'm not very educated in the scriptures. And, you know, we sometimes feel like we don't know the faith well enough. Well, how much did she know? She literally just got saved. None of the possible roadblocks that she could have brought up and that you and I, frankly, bring up in our own minds about how incapable we are, none of those things stopped her. What she had was a heart that had been opened up to Jesus She had her guilt removed and full of thanksgiving, full of gratitude, she went out to witness of God's grace to others. And she said to others, come see Jesus too. You should see what he did for me. And that's all it takes for us. You might say that sounds a little too easy. That is all it takes for us. I don't care who you are. I don't care how incapable you are or maybe feel you are. None of us has any excuse not to do exactly what she did. Because God often, probably most of the time, chooses to accomplish his work of salvation through the weakest of vessels. You got one of them standing up here in front of you this morning. You got others. 
God used a shepherd boy named David, a boy, to defeat the giant Goliath. God gave a poor Hebrew exile named Daniel more wisdom than the highly trained wise men of Babylon. Remember Naaman's healing? I think Reverend Bert DeYoung preached on that a few weeks ago. Naaman's servant's words, the words of his servants, had a greater impact on Naaman, resulting in his healing, than the words of the great and mighty prophet Elisha. It wasn't the words of Elisha, it was the words of the lowly servant that finally healed. God didn't choose a princess to bear his son. He chose a peasant These disciples, the 12, we hold them up because they are the foundation of the church and so forth. They were a bunch of fishermen, simple fishermen. And this mighty work of grace and salvation that happens here in our text, it happened and was started by a woman with a sordid past. And this is how it goes. I hope that's a great encouragement to you because it is to me and it certainly should be to you. We read that many believed in verse 39 because of her testimony and then we read that Jesus stayed with them for two days and then it goes on. There's some interesting stuff here in verse 41. Many others believed because of his own words. And in verse 42, they say they believe, because we have heard for ourselves. And that tells us something very important about the message of salvation going out. Just as I mentioned how the Holy Spirit, his job is to point us to Christ. That's what happens when the Spirit uses us. It's not that we're just telling others about Jesus. It's about bringing them to Jesus, introducing them to Jesus. And there's a difference. And that's, that's a powerful thing that happens through the work of the triune God. And we believe, I'll give you an example of it, of, what, of that difference between telling them about Jesus or bringing them to Jesus, having them hear Jesus. We believe, and I've, I've said this before, we believe This is true in faithful preaching. In preaching, we believe, it's not just the words of a man, but somehow, mysteriously, Jesus, through his Spirit, speaks himself to his people. And and that's how you get that phenomenon sometimes, where you feel like God is speaking to you directly in the preaching of the Word. That's how that happens. Because we believe in faithful preaching, it is the voice of the good shepherd Jesus himself that we hear, not just the words of a person. And that's why we want to be here with our loved ones in worship for this special supernatural event that happens in the faithful proclamation of the word. And here's the thing, there's a very real sense in which that is true of all of our sowing and reaping. 
as God's people, not only in preaching, the special way in preaching, but ultimately, it is Christ who speaks through his messengers. We ourselves need to hear Christ's voice, and others need to hear his voice. And they do as we faithfully sow and reap. And that's our goal. That's what we're striving for. Like we talked about with John the Baptist in, in 3, more of, more of Jesus, less of me. Not drawing attention to ourselves. Not even drawing attention to our church. But drawing people's attention to Jesus. To bring people to him so that they meet him through the Holy Spirit so that they hear his very words. The work of the triune God in our salvation. Planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, applied to us by the Holy Spirit. The disciples, the woman at the well, you and me, part of the process, part of the plan, sowing, reaping, introducing others to Jesus. Let's not take the freedoms that we enjoy for granted. Jesus says the fields are ripe for harvest. Let's introduce others to Jesus. May God use Faith CRC in powerful ways in his work of salvation today. May he use even you.